folks, and welcome welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. You log in, you click a button that says study now, and the platform then shows you exactly what you need to learn next based on your previous progress. Now, again, this is simple, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And this is not just um, them patting themselves on the back. Now that Native Shark's been in business for over a year, the results are in. So this is exactly what people are saying. Uh, just looking at a couple of posts in their community forums. And the student community, by the way, is one of the best things about the platform. So one person's writing, most productive year I've had learning Japanese. And then another one says, I've started learning over a year ago with all of these other platforms. And what I learned there is only a fraction of what I've learned on Native Shark in just three months. And then yet another one goes, in my mind, my study timeline only started with Native Shark because that's when I really started learning consistently and on and on. So yet the proof's in the pudding. It's definitely the best online course out there. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up for their free trial uh, using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, and we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So that's native without an E. So N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash N-T-I. You use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of just the one. No need to put in your credit card, anything of that sort. You can just sign up, give it a shot, and chances are at the end of these two weeks, you'll already be far ahead of wherever you are with your Japanese at the moment, whether you're just starting out or you're already in knee deep. Give it a shot, nativeshark.com forward slash NTI. Okay, so right before we get into today's episode, as you might have noticed, depending on when you've tuned in, today marks my move to two weekly episodes instead of one, at least for the time being. Um, reason is, with our weekly Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions, I've been accumulating quite a few recordings of other calls, mainly those mentoring sessions that I've mentioned in the last episode, business calls with clients, potential clients, etc. So enjoy the extra content, now coming to you twice weekly, yay! And, as promised, more on our business networking and board games event, again, this coming December 10 to 12, Friday through to Sunday. So we've mentioned our speakers, Jason Ball, admin of Japan's biggest English business networking group, uh, who's going to be speaking to us about building and maintaining business relationships in Japan. Mario Long, founder and CEO of Sakura Phoenix, will be talking to us about designing, creating, marketing and crowdfunding games. And I'll be speaking about and answering questions about property investment in Japan. Now I've mentioned the venue, Montan Hakata Hotel, and today I'm going to tell you about the food we'll be serving. So if you're from Fukuoka, you may know Monica Cabezas. She's the city's favorite private function chef. Originally from Chile, phenomenal cook. I've personally had the pleasure of tasting uh, some of her creations a few times these past few years already. And she's blown me away each and every time. Absolutely amazing. So I've updated our event page with some serious food porn from Monica's kitchen. And if you haven't yet decided whether to book the full room and board option or not, I suggest you hop over to the event page. I'll link to it to, uh, in this episode show notes before you make up your mind. I've got a feeling that you won't want to miss the chance of indulging in some of Monica's amazing dishes. 
Okay, so for today's episode, we're back with our JREP crew. One person short this time. Matt couldn't join us uh, this time around, unfortunately. I'm not sure if he's feeding some goats or off to explore some haunted houses in the uh, Japanese countryside. But Emil, Tracy and myself had a nice long chat about a bunch of stuff. So mainly focused around uh, furnished homes or homes and buildings equipped with some unusual features like a gym, swimming pool, sauna, etc. Then we sort of segued into uh, dual purpose holiday homes. So second homes purchased by owners who use them for their own purposes and then rent them out when not in use. Uh, when and where exactly is that strategy worth pursuing? We talked a bit about company dormitories or companies renting properties for their staff to stay in during work projects and so forth and how that works for landlords compared with typical direct rentals to standard tenants. Um, and as usual, we also touch on loans, mortgages, when is it better to purchase as opposed to rent, what to do with your property when you leave the country, uh, awkward personal questions that realtors sometimes need to ask prospective buyers, and plenty of other good stuff. So good long session, enjoy it, and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay. Hello. I can pause it. I can pause it. No, no. All right. So as per our new format, quick introduction. Starting from sure. Emil. Cool. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm a real estate agent here in Tokyo. Uh, I help uh, foreign families, mixed families, um, purchase their own family home in, in Tokyo. Uh, and we also help arrange financing. So we act as a mortgage broker. So any finance related questions as well, I'm happy to help answer those too. Thanks. And over to Tracy. Go ahead. So yes, I'm Tracy. I, I am I'm the CEO of Tokyo Family Stays. I'm a short-term rental expert in Tokyo. Um, I uh, cover all types of short-term rentals from uh, rental arbitrage through to co-hosting and I also own a few of, of my own but I also help other people maximize their profits when they're setting up short-term rentals um, and uh, so I've been doing this 10 years uh, and I love it it's been great so I can help you if you're coming to Japan and you're needing a place to stay or if you're wanting to invest and have short-term rentals in your cash flow portfolio so that's me. Thanks. And I'm Ziv Nakajima again. Um, we own, my wife and I own a buyer's advocacy and portfolio management company. And we basically liaise with people like Emil and Tracy and Matt, who's not here. We'll do a, a, like a third person intro for him. Um, in helping them purchase and research and do due diligence on um, and profit from property investments anywhere in Japan or to buy holiday homes or land for development or anything else that they need um, anywhere around Japan. And our missing member today is Matt Ketchum, and he's a co-founder and partner in Akia and Inaka, which is a company that helps uh, people investigate and purchase um, and renovate, if necessary, old uh, abandoned or vacant homes in the Japanese countryside. So we're the uh, Japan Real Estate Experts Panel, or JREP. And what are we going to talk about today, guys? JREP. This is this is new. I like it. JREP. I like it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Can we have like t-shirts that say JREP? Um, we were we were just talking before we went live about um, gyms and how um, that 
first of all, they're not very common because of space being at such a premium. Um, home gyms, home gyms, right? Home gyms. Like fitness gyms, yeah. Home gym equipment. But there is, uh, there's a whole bunch of gym equipment that you can buy that fits into these small, the, the small properties. So, Emil, what, what's out there that, that work for a home gym? Home gyms, okay. Home gyms are a, I think it's a very personal kind of um, uh, requirement or very personal kind of equipment because depends on your training and exercise targets, you will want your own sort of stuff. So I've always been into weight training, um, typical old school sort of just weight lifting, um, you know, barbell, bench press, dumbbells, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm pretty big um, in terms of my, my size. So I need to sort of, I like to lift heavy. So I've got pretty much a full setup. So I've got bench, um, uh, like a, a proper weight rack, a full-size Olympic uh, um, barbell, large weights. They are quite like, but it's, it's hard to find space in a, in a house. Um, and also if the issue I think is if it's an apartment, you're definitely not going to be able to do like deadlifts. It, it, it's lots of thuds, lots of thumping on the ground. So you need to be careful about your space. I've got a house. So I've got it in my house, and when I do deadlifts, the house shakes. Um, when you know, when I'm <clears throat> when I sort of like put the weights down, etc. So you need to be, you know, you need to buy something I think that is suitable for you, um, and the kind of exercise that you want to do. But also be very conscious of the space that you have um, in mm -hmm. rooms. Rooms, yeah, rooms. Yeah, well, neighbors. If the name is not so, but in the, if you're in an apartment building, then yeah, what's on top and below is is definitely a, a concern. Again, because I have a house, I don't have to worry about that. Um, I just need the the width and the physical dimensions of the room to be to be um, adequate. Uh, but if you just jump on Amazon, to be honest, I think there's lots of stuff on Amazon that you can just get to meet your to meet your needs. Unless you really have a large space, what we What's common in Australia is a very large, like all-in-one home gym, right? You know, those ones you see, it's maybe like $1,000 or so. And there's maybe multiple stations in one large unit with some cables and, um, and like a, a weight stack in the middle and a bunch of cables. That's going to be difficult, I feel, to, to do in a, uh, in a Japanese property. But if you just have some smaller weights, um, smaller individual exercise equipments that you build up, to do the uh, exercises that you need, I think you can definitely um, achieve it because the space you're going to have is maybe it's a bedroom or a spare room or a study, or even the living room. Move the coffee table away and you you can just roll out a mat and bring some weights down, some simple like, you know, dumbbells, etc. very, very uh, light ones. It's It doesn't have to be a permanent weight training space or a permanent exercise space. You need to duplicate it for, you know, the, the three or the, the one hour a day that, that you want to use it. So um, I, I remember when I was in my apartment, um, I was in a, a larger apartment and it was a concrete apartment. I was on the ground floor. I used to skip inside. I used to do my skipping because the ceilings were really high and there was, a, there was actually enough space. Um, and then I moved into the house which is a three-story wooden house. There is absolutely no way that I could be jumping up and down and skipping inside my house. Um, first of all, the ceilings are too low, um, but also, like you said, the wooden houses, the three-story, you know, the standard Tokyo wooden house would 
I mean, it shakes when uh, when I sneeze, and it or it shakes when um, a, a truck goes past the the, the front door. So um, I I can't imagine it'd be good for doing deadlifts. I moved all my I moved all my exercise and all my skipping actually into the driveway, and uh, I keep my neighbors amused when I do my skipping or I do my yoga. Um, because of course you you know it's high density living. There are people walking past all the time, so you know you just got to uh, make friends with your neighbours. Have ever you uh, any of you ever had uh, a rental property where you had uh, any kind of gym or or any kind of like personal features that tenants actually found attractive? The, did that attract more tenants? Well, it, tenants? It, it's funny you mention that actually because I've just listed a property on Tokyo Family Stays. Um, that uh, I'm looking after for an owner who's who's left and uh, he converted one of the bedrooms in the apartment to a home gym. So has the bench and has the free weights and what have you. But that's the first time I've seen one. And, I, and I'm not sure about larger sort of expatty type um, buildings that have a gym built in. Often they'll have uh, relationships with, uh, with with the gyms or people have gyms at the office um, or, you know, the Tokyo American Club, for example, they would go and use the gym there. But I haven't really seen, I've seen apartments with pools and even that's fairly rare. Um, that, that's sort of that very much their high-end expatty type apartment buildings. But ones with a gym, Emil, have you seen one? Um, so homes, usually homes and apartments, the gym is not a built-in um facility right it will be a uh i said it'll just be like the owner the owner's individual um items that he's put in there so if it's for sale they will take it with them right if they have like a, a training room and a bunch like a bench press and some weights etc they generally take it with them or they need to sell it chances that someone else will want that exact equipment is is unlikely yeah okay so it's, it's, it's quite personal um and and even if the person does like training the fact that they want it as a dedicated training room is is not it's is you know they'll probably use it as an office or a different kind of space um it's a very very niche item to take up an entire room dedicated room when the cost of a room the cost of space in tokyo is so expensive um and you, that's for sales and even with the issue with uh, rentals is if it's something that you leave in the property, then the owner needs to take responsibility for it. To maintain it, yeah. As, as, a, as a rental. So, for example, I've got a property now. Uh, we were using it for Airbnb for short-term stays. Uh, but because of, you know, uh, COVID and whatnot, we got um, a, a regular Japanese tenant in there. So a long-term uh, um, regular rental uh, lease and we asked them look do you want to keep any of the existing furniture because it was fully furnished do you want to keep anything um or do you want us to dispose of it but the condition is anything you keep you be aware that it is just leftover item and when you leave you need to dispose of it and we as the owner are not taking any responsibility for it yeah we've had a few leases like that so the tenant would yeah. ask oh could you leave that yeah well we can leave it behind but we're not responsible for maintaining it and you're responsible for checking it out when you go sure um, so what, one of the items that they're keeping is the washing machine, okay? And so I don't want to be responsible for ongoing maintenance and repair of that washing machine. 
right? Yeah. So he said, look, you can keep it, but it is it is what it is. Um, and if when you leave, you need to dispose of it or you can, um, or any repair maintenance, you need to take care of it yourself. It's not the owner's responsibility. The only thing we're taking care of is the air conditioner units because that's ours. So we don't want the the person when they leave to take them with them. We have had some cases though, and in Tracy's world, I think that's actually the, the norm rather than the, the off case. But we have had some cases where, um, like for example, if there's quite a bit of competition in the area from comparable properties, and if we don't want, or the owner doesn't want to reduce the rent, um, then sometimes the property manager would suggest to furnish the unit. So to put in um, white goods or appliances, to put in a sofa bed, like a folding sofa bed, a TV, a microwave, mini bar fridge, and so forth. And while that doesn't really command a huge rent difference, like it might be 5,000 yen or $50 extra a month or something. Um, but in cases where you're the only furnished unit in that profile, in that area, it can actually make a difference. You might be able to... Um, populate a unit a bit faster. And it also depends on location. I mean, if you're right next to a university campus, for example, it's a lot more popular than if you're looking at, um, your, you know, your typical family unit or what. But it, it, Tracy, in your world, they're always furnished, aren't they? They're always furnished. Um, and I often take over properties where the owner has been living there and then has been transferred overseas. Um, and then they want to come back and use their own stuff and their, their own properties um, from time to time. And, I mean, it suits the owner because, first of all, they don't have to dispose of everything. They don't have to ship it away. Um, if they're going overseas, they can't, you know, they've got to get rid of their fridge, their washing machine anyway because they're not going to work in, um, you know, whatever country that they're moving to. Um, and it's just a pain in the neck. Um, sizes are always different. So, um, so that's why it's good that I take over a property um, rather than it going out to long term. Um, so there's a, for, for, for those reasons I mentioned. Um, and, uh, but, you know, back to having air conditioners looked after or not, I've, I've worked with landlords where it's been very clear in the contract all right, the air conditioner was here when you moved in, we are responsible for that. So when the air conditioner has it has cracked out, you know, six months, eight months, 12 months into a two-year contract, uh, the, you know, I've been able to say, hey, buddy, the, the air conditioner's crapped out. Um, can I have a new one, please? And then they have to they have to pony up the money and do it. But I've also been in other places where the air conditioners have been mine. And so when the air conditioner has cracked out, um, then I have to replace it. So, I mean, that's one of the You've biggest... You've rented a place and you had the AC installed? Yeah, I've, been, I've, I've actually had a number of places where the air conditioner is mine. It is on the contract that, you know, in this particular room, the air conditioner belongs to the owner. And so they are responsible if it dies. But in this particular room, it's owned by me. And, yeah. they, they, and I have to restore the place. If I put an air conditioner in... When I move out and I give back the keys, I actually have to get someone and patch up the hole and do the rest of it. Like I actually have to have that air conditioner professionally removed as well. Um, and the hole sealed. And the hole sealed or it back to the back to the state where I, I rented it at. So or alternatively, you could reach, I know that in our case, for example, we, we haven't had many of those, but in the one or two cases that we have, we kind of reach an agreement with a tenant saying, oh, you just 
leave it behind. So they kind of give us the secondhand aircon unit and then they don't have to go through the expense of removing it and sealing it and disposing or moving it. And then we don't have, we actually get a bonus of an extra AC unit. It'll be on the contract. Who's, who's, who's responsible for that though? So yeah, no, I mean, um, even, even towards the end behind, of the, say, say the tenant is, let's say that on the contract, it says that this AC unit belongs to the tenant. So there's no question there, but mm -hmm. as they give us the notice that they're leaving, they've asked us, well, do you maybe want it? <laughs> and then we, we sort of make a memorandum saying that, yeah, they can leave it behind and uh, we absolve them of the responsibility to restore the unit. Yeah, I've done, I've done that, that, that before yeah. too. But I think the, the biggest difference to, that people will recognise when they come and rent, uh, when they come and rent in Japan, as opposed to, well, even when you buy, white goods are not included uh, necessarily. So fridges aren't included, washing machines aren't included. Um, air conditioners are, but there's no central air here. And I think big people get a bit confused, you know, when they're used to, especially coming from North America, that, that air is like central heating or central air is included. It's not here. And we use these, like you can see one behind my head here. That's like these silly units that are so inefficient when you think about it, um, but it's just the way, way things are. Um, and you were about to say something, Emil, I cut you off. Well, I, I actually like these individual um, units because I can just focus on one room and have each like one room really controlled the way the way I like it, um, rather than the, the large central units. But uh, I think one of the points I want to go back on that you mentioned, Ziv, slightly is then the, the type of tenant that you have. You know, like putting white goods. You know, being the only property in that particular profile that has air conditioner and fridge and, and washing machine, et cetera. I think for, for one room apartments where it could be university students that don't have money to move these things or they've just moved out, it's their first property, right? Their first They're time just there for alone. two years and there's no, there's no yeah. point in them buying anything, yeah. Exactly, like they don't have their own items, Yeah. right? They're just living in their parents' house. So they, there's upside for that kind of property. The property I was talking about, it's a house. It's a three bedroom standalone house. Whoever is moving in there, often they already have their own furniture. Yeah. Okay. They've already got their own stuff, most likely to family. So they don't need so much stuff. Air conditioners are quite costly to move and install. Yeah. So that's probably the only item. It could be possible that the other person had their own air conditioners, right? But often those ones are a bit of the exception because there's an installation fee and quite a significant installation and removal fee. Mm. Okay. So it has to be um, done by a professional. Yeah. It's yeah. got to be done by a yeah. professional. You can't, you can't, you know, you know, anyone can move a fridge in if you've got muscle, uh, but not anybody can can move a, 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 an air conditioner in and out because there's gas involved and all sorts of yeah. things. So um, you've got to be really careful with that. Yeah, often the installation, and especially if it includes a removal and disposal of an old unit, and that can come up to the price of the unit itself. So you're actually you might be paying uh, 500 bucks for the unit and then another three, 400 bucks to have it installed and remove the old one, etc. But we've had cases um, with furniture specifically um, because we service a lot of people that are buying holiday homes and they'll be coming in from overseas. Um, a lot of times we'd be buying properties for them um, from just like an older couple or, or uh, an elderly single person. And they'd have a lot of old school Japanese style furniture in the house. And they are thrilled not having to move and dispose of that just makes their day. 
And the foreign owner who's buying into like a traditional looking old Japanese home, they're even more happy that they've got all of this stuff around, you know? So we'll always get the question, like we'll actually get pictures and lists of everything that's in every room. And uh, they'll ask us, please mark what you want us to leave behind. And it's almost always the entire list, like the foreign holiday maker who's buying this home just wants everything exactly the way it is, you know? Furniture well, and all. Well, well, Ziv, I could actually even, you know, offer your clients um, that if they, uh, you know, if they do buy a holiday house and they need someone to stage it, if they need someone to fit it out, I mean, this is what I do. I fit out, I, fit, I furnish homes. I can, I can. In Tokyo though, Tracy, in you're Tokyo. in Tokyo. Yeah, we don't, we don't do much in Tokyo. We leave that to you guys. Well, um, because I, no, I can I, travel for a fee. I'm, I'm quite happy to be mobile. I, I know, I know, but we do that. We, we love to travel too, though. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, because we, we should mention when we do the intro, or maybe just now, but um, because we deal a lot in investment properties and because investment properties in Tokyo are not very profitable, the yields are quite low. I mean, the purchase price is a lot higher and then the rent would be higher in percentages. So the yield is actually a lot lower. So most of our customers, maybe the last couple of years, we've done more Tokyo and Osaka deals than usually because COVID prices have been a little bit softer for investment units. Um, but aside from that, we'd usually not be active in Tokyo. Yokohama is popular. Chiba is popular. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we get lucky in Kawasaki, Saitama and Kobe. Okay but not Tokyo and Osaka themselves. And I can jump in with, a, with some, some numbers really as well. Like, yeah. you know, with investment properties, looking at short-term re rentals versus long-term rentals. Like, you know, if you're looking at a commercial property with one bed, with single, you know, small studios, um, you actually get a much better return. And Ziv, you and I have done the numbers on that, on um, a short-term rental play versus a long-term rental play. Um, but it's when you get up into the two, three bedroom um, places or single family homes where it makes much more uh, sense uh, for ROI if you're in the short term rental game. So, um, yes. uh, so you know, it, it was really it was really illuminating doing those crunching those numbers with you to see that um, that the amount um, and and this is sort of in the Tokyo area that I know, um, the amount that you can earn on a short-term rental on a small studio um, just uh, is not the same return as uh, as a long-term. So yeah. that, was, that was really fun. Yeah, and I guess for our customers too, like everyone that I've shared these uh, short-term rental figures with, mm -hmm. they were all like, well, yeah, it's double, especially for the two and three bedroom units that you're talking about. Well, yeah, it's double the yield that I'll be getting if I was leasing it out um, on a long-term basis. But that that just takes it from like two and a half to five or from like three to 6%. And they can get 6% with a nice and stable long-term tenant in a lot of other cities. So mm -hmm. unless they're specifically your type of client who's actually got a place that they want to personally use, um again tokyo osaka don't really tickle their fancy that much mm -hmm. yeah it's a very specific you know um you, you need it yeah it needs to be a certain type of strategy and you need to have a certain i think reasoning to want to do the, the short-term kind of play if it's straight up a pure numbers game um then yeah as as you mentioned if you know you could get possibly if you do a property outside of of tokyo um, you can get a similar return to sort of what what you would um, expect from a a, a well 
um, designed and, and well purchased uh, um, short, short-term rental in, in Tokyo. So, yeah, so it depends on your needs. Yeah, I mean, my clients, they actually want to come back and they want to use their properties six months of the year or three months of the year and, and they want to come and use their own place. And so, you know, I've got one client, you know, he comes back every Christmas and every summer with his family and puts his kids in school and brings their dog and, and all the rest of it. And then the rest of the time, um, the rest of the time I look after it. So that's that makes really good sense if um, Absolutely. It, it's yeah. more of a lifestyle investment rather than a, a financial investment. Yeah, and I guess the thing is we, we've had issues like, um, for example, in ski areas or places that are really popular for uh, uh, Hanami season, for the um, cherry blossom season or for the red leaf season, the koyo. We have to explain to people that, look, if you're going to be using the property yourself all throughout the ski season, you're not going to be renting it out to anybody throughout the rest of the year. As much as you'd like to, everybody wants to come at the same time that you want to be using the property. So you really have to figure out whether it's for your own use or not. And if it's, if it is for your own use, then whatever little bit of extra you can make on it when you're not using it, that's great, but don't expect other people to fill in the dead season for you. Cause that's, that's not going to happen. That is exactly the reason I, um, I'm, I don't have a holiday house or I don't, I can't find the, the financial justification for a holiday house. Um, you know, I, I like going to the beach uh, during the summertime. If I were to, and I, I go then, you know, I'm, I'm, we're in real estate. Anytime we go to any place, we, we look at the real estate figures, we go past the real estate agency and we look at how much these properties are. Yeah. you know in 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 the area we see like just all their signage out the front and we That's want to look at what well, are all about checking out think? real estate right? oh yeah yeah definitely. <laughs> like my, my wife my wife hates it she's like what are you doing come on come on um but the, i like my my thinking is yeah very much that if i have a, a house and i want to rent it out but then i think you know i'm going to rent it and then that way i get to use it in the holiday season i save um by getting to use it for free yeah. Well, there's a, the, the lost cost of I, if I'm staying there, if it's, you know, 20,000 yen a night or 10,000 yen a night, whatever I block for that period is money that I've lost. Yes. And so I'm, so my thinking is, you know what, rather than owning it and managing it and having to put up with, with it, especially it's, it's, it's not a place that's designed to be optimal short-term rental, um, you know, uh, a financial tool. Rather, it's a place that I want to be able to holiday myself. And then in the, in, when I'm not holidaying in it, I get some money back, right? So it's not designed as a financial tool as much as it's designed as my holiday space. However, I think if I block off for 20,000 yen a night for my personal use for one week or two weeks, why don't I just rent it out for that 20,000 yen a night? And rent and something for 6,000 a night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, I, and I can I can, yeah, I can, can yeah, just rent my own place, well, even if it's the same. So yeah. it's like, hold on. I'm, whatever I, I block off or I reject to have it for my own personal use, that's going to be a loss. I may as well just spend that and rent an Airbnb, the same, the same or similar property for a similar price, for when I want to use it and not have to do with deal with any of the management headaches at all. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the place and just like, and I actually just did this, like I do this every year and I get the same result. <laughs> um, but the place I went to just this, this summer, it, um, it costs 20, the, the management fee. I look, 
the build the property is not so much, but the the management fee and the repair fee for owning the property is about twenty five thousand yen a month. That's a condo. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a condo, right? Yeah. And so it's it's which which is fine if you're not going to live there permanently, right? But for twenty five thousand yen a month, I'm like, hold on a second, that's two hundred fifty thousand yen a year. I'm I don't spend that much on it just for the times I want to use it. Even if I want to go three or four times, I'm not going to spend that much. So am I really saving by having this property and trying to make it going through all the ins and outs and the, the capital investment I need to put in? That's well, the only exception is if it's really in a place that's kind of evergreen throughout the year. So like if it's, if it's a city, if it's a metro property, if you're talking about, uh, for example, Tokyo or Fukuoka or, or to a certain degree, Osaka and Kyoto as well, then yes, you would probably, when the tourists are here at least, you would probably have somebody who will want to rent it throughout the year. Maybe not, you know, at the exact same vacancy and occupancy mm. rates, but there would be interest. But if it's a beachside property, winter resort type property, anywhere that's only really catering to a specific season, then that's probably yeah. going to be the time that you're going to want to use it yourself. It's not worth it. No. Yeah. Um, I find, like, from my assessment, it kind of becomes worthwhile if you use it really regularly. Like, you know, two, three times a month. Like, you know, for example, for, for four months of the year or five months of the year, you're there every other weekend. It really is your regular like, family retreat spot, not once or twice a year, um, which is kind of the stuff that I, I do. Because once a year we'll go to the beach, then winter season we'll go up to a, you know, the, the ski resorts. Um, if, yeah, if it's that kind of stuff, it doesn't, doesn't suit it for me. But if you want a place that's really your second home that you're using regularly, and the idea of using it as just some maybe supplementary income, um, using you know short-term stays, et cetera, when you're not there, I think that would work. But if the idea is I want a place that's going to be a short-term or Airbnb uh, you know, kind of investment, which on top of that, I can also use for free in the, you know, during the holiday season, um, you're not using it for free. You're paying exactly what an investment. The, 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 the market rate. Yeah. An investment. Yeah. No, oh, well, yeah. I mean, you, you say that, but actually my, my dream actually on the, on the wall is, <laughs> is that, uh, that I want one of these houses that is a second house that I have my stuff locked in a cupboard so that I'm not schlepping up suitcases every time so that I can, you know, if I decide that there's, there's no one booked in, I'm going to jump on the train and I'm going to get there in an hour. And then I'm just going to have, you know, have my laptop and can write or I can do whatever. And that would be my second house at that, but then other times to, to be rented. So um, in those sorts of places, you can only get the, the six months of the year uh, license anyway. So, um, you know, so you've got six months that is that you you can be using and thing is i love the i personally this is my personal opinion is i really love going to the beach in winter um and there's just something about you know being cold but being next to the ocean so um that's my dream so um but the, the more flexible you are the, the more that becomes an option i think right like i know a lot of people that go Definitely. up to ski in a certain area a certain time of the year but then they're saying this area is gorgeous in the spring. Nobody's even aware of that. But if you come here in the spring, it's gorgeous. It's green. There's flowers. There's like a, a river rafting activities that you can do. And, you know, the, 
it's fine for them for to to rent it out during the winter and maybe they go to somebody that is to somewhere that's not as expensive for their ski and then they use the place during the spring when there's not that many people who want to rent it anyway i've got i've got friends with 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 uh, rentals up in uh up in hokkaido and it's it's a good long season up there so you know they'll block off maybe a week or week and a half for themselves um and and then the rest of the season it's all rented out and yeah. uh, and then they go up and use it in the summer as well so i mean it's been a it really is um there's so many different options it's it's really down to there's no right way or wrong way to do it it's just whatever works uh for you and your lifestyle well for you and your management company too like yes, we've got management true, companies yes. up in Sapporo that you know that we ask them to manage a, an apartment like you do, Tracy, on behalf of a customer who's going to be using it on holiday. And then he's giving us a list of, okay, we're going to come for two weeks in March, and then we're coming for another four weeks in October and another five weeks in December. And the property manager, well, look, it's not really worth it for us to take on this property because we can't make enough to just justify the advertising and the cost that we're going to be putting it into it if you're using it for like a quarter of the year, right? Well, uh, the, the, the people that I know who use their who use their properties up in Hokkaido, when they go and stay in their own place, they pay the property management fees because they they're just not paying the rental. So um, okay. So so the things like the cleaning every like the, you know they'll have a, a cleaning crew come in every three days and and you know uh, or come in and do do a quick clean every day they'll still pay the daily rates as if they were a paying guest um and uh, okay so they the just gets their 20 or 25 percent of what it would have been if they were renting out the place and so, oh, yeah they just pay so you know the owner will go and you know obviously they're, they're they're mindful of their property manager who you know is there to make a buck as well so they'll pay the property management fees they just won't pay the 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 tariff for the nightly nightly stay that's a really interesting setup actually i should suggest it to a few people thank you for that yeah yeah you're welcome i'll send you my inbox but for my consulting charges please do <laughs> <laughs> um I, I wanted to sort of talk quickly that just on that topic of we were before about leaving items in the house yeah. um, you know leaving furniture and stuff and air conditioner just to sort of you know just to just to wrap that that one bit up um you know i think the idea is like is it worthwhile leaving furniture or not definitely if it's a short-term stay yes um but if you're looking for regular rentals unless it's sort of college student single room type places generally no it's quite difficult um expect that everything needs to be taken out mm. um that yeah and that, that's why like a, a lot of people feel that it's wasteful and they want to um th that's why they want to think look maybe i'll do short-term stays because that way i get to keep my furniture rather than dispose of it however when you really calculate it think like, what's the cost of disposing because when we talk about houses or these three bedrooms these larger places Maybe anywhere from two hundred to four hundred thousand yen a night a month is what the rental is going to be. If you spend an extra one or two months or three months trying to find someone that is willing to live with your furniture, it's not worth it. You, yeah, you're probably going to lose out more than what the furniture is worth. And then, yeah. you know, again, it, like, is it whose furniture does it? Is it then when they when they leave, do you as the owner get the furniture back? 
um, like do they just leave it or do they take it and dispose of it? It's it's quite com it's quite complicated. I'd say especially if you want a typical leaf. You're emotionally attached to any of the items that, that become something to 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 think about. But if you're just talking about you know. I, I don't want to throw it away. Well, you don't have to throw it away. You can contact the local recycle shop. They're not going to pay, you know, prime dollar for it, but they'll come take it off your hands and give you like a hundred bucks or what for it. No, you, you normally have to pay them to take it away. Yeah, the recycle oh, it's shop. old and disgusting, but we have been paid by them if it's good stuff. Oh, the recycle shop? Oh, I've never had that. I've never yeah. had that. Yeah, they just, yeah. just recently, they paid us, I think, not much, just like... 5,000 yen, so about 50 bucks, and they took uh, an old fridge, microwave, and um, sofa bed off our hands. So I guess they sell it for at least double that, right? Well, there is a massive trade on the on Facebook and Craigslist for various furniture. I mean, with the, with the pandemic, there hasn't been so much in and out. Yes. So furniture is pretty much worth, like secondhand furniture is pretty much worthless because there's no one there's not a lot of demand for it there's a if anything there's a there's a lot of people getting rid of stuff so no one's um, there's not much are they no one's well they can't some people are but they're often they're moving from share house to share house to share house yeah. um you're not really getting big big expat family moves or you aren't at the moment not with the borders closed so um Long-term tenants, long tenants that we deal with, are they're all avoiding moving um, if they can. Some of them don't, you know, can't help it because company relocation or what have you. But um, mm -hmm. if they can avoid moving, they will. So we've got a lot less vacancy mm -hmm. than we used to have. But when we do get a vacancy, they last a lot longer. The, the company relocations always, um, always, I find it really interesting culturally because what you find is that that it's usually just the main worker who moves. And so family will stay behind in the family home, wherever that is. And it'll just be one person, usually the father, let's say, who move. And they're, they're, in, a, they're in a tiny monthly mansion or, uh, so a monthly mansion, if anyone isn't aware, is just uh, like a small serviced student apartment almost that is furnished um, that people rent by the month um, and that is sort of down to the, the funny laws that are here um, between short-term rental and then monthly rental and then service departments. And, and, but I won't, I won't dive down that rabbit hole today, uh, but I can do that for another, for another session if, if, uh, if, you, if people would, would want to hear that. But I just find it really interesting that, that Japanese families would tend to, you know, keep the family keep the family house and then it's just um that the the father that that is that goes wherever the company sends them and i just as a you know it just is not something i'm used to or have grown up with um, well, but do you very, see that a lot do you see that a lot Ziv? um we do we mainly deal in singles or couples apartments so the relocations that we're facing are usually just the single tenant moving out because they have to but I think uh, but on a, on a personal level, a lot of the families that I'm in touch with, like friends and stuff, this obviously happens a whole lot. But I think the main difference is, and this is probably getting a bit more into like workplace employment relationships and even family dynamics, but in Japan, as opposed to other countries, these company shufflings and relocations are a lot more frequent, right? Like you'd have a person living in Tokyo and then 
you're not going to be spending six months in Osaka. The next six months you're going to spend in Fukuoka. After that, you might be back in Tokyo. They like to send people. Part of the uh, Japanese employment ladder, if you will, is to send them over to different company locations and branches, especially with the bigger companies, so that they can experience the the whole gamut of how the company operates before they go uh, and get promoted. So obviously, especially if you get kids involved, relocating an entire family every six to 12 months is ridiculous. So it, it, it does make sense. And a lot on a very um, personal, cynical side note, a lot of the wives are actually very happy with that. <laughs> As I'll, 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 I'll just say that the, but the, these are the people who have been renting my, my short-term rentals since the borders have been closed, right? They're the people that have been um, keeping my business going because... Um, you know, my before the pandemic, I would I didn't have any Japanese clients at all. It would be all inbound tourists. Mm. Um, and then the borders shut, and so it's like I had to very quickly pivot. Um, and I think I've pivoted more times in the last eighteen months than a ballad dancer. But um, <laughs> but uh, um, but but that's who I've found is is as there's there's people who you know actually one of one of my clients right now. Um, his wife and kids are in Fukuoka, interestingly enough, um, and and he's he's here uh, for for a couple of months, living in one of my houses, and he's loving having the house because his wife can come and visit. Whereas before, when he was in sort of small dormitory type situations, there was just you know they're grim. They're not they're not a holiday at all. But at least this way, his wife, when she comes, she they can have like a little staycation in uh, in in Tokyo. Well, it, um, whether the grim or not depends on the company, actually. Companies with a bigger budget mm. tend to rent nicer places for their employees, too. And it also obviously depends on the rank of the employee. True, true. Well, I mean, uh, maybe I should uh, make friends with a lot more companies and say, hey, <laughs> put, your, put your staff in my houses and uh, for, for six months. Because, you know, they're fully furnished. They've got fast internet, all the rest of it. So There um, are property management companies that specialize in that. More on the monthly rental than the actual uh, minpaku, short-term stay. But there are quite a few property managers. Like if you're a property management company that deals primarily in, uh, in monthly rentals, and we do work with a few of those, then that's a very that's a very um, it's one of the prime primary pillars of their business is to access these kind of companies relocations. I pay commission, no problem. I also think <laughs> I got Andre. I was going to say, you know, put me in contact with them, Zip, because um, you know, I, uh, uh, borders aren't opening anytime soon, so yep. I've still got um, some, I've still got vacancies. The two that we work most frequently with are in Fukuoka and the one that covers uh, Nagoya, Kyoto, Osaka. So if those areas are interesting and you've got properties there, let me know. Tokyo. Tokyo mm. family stays. No, don't do that in Tokyo. The, 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 um, the Japanese salarymen that I know, the office workers that get relocated, it tends to be more sort of, you know, two years kind of stint not just there for a few months. And so I think if it's a few months, then definitely a, a, a furnished apartment or monthly mansion is is option. But most of the guys that I know that have done this um, basically just end up getting a regular, a, a typical rental, which they need to furnish because monthly mansions are a lot more expensive per month for the company, yeah. right? So it's easier for them actually just to get a, a um, an apartment 
and that's where the guy stays for for the two years or so. And also, it's they say it's like one to two years. It may extend, right? It's really up to up to the company. But yeah, they tend to not use the the service mansions or anything like that. It's a typical small one room or one LDK kind of and place. It'll often they, be like in our case, if it's the longer type of leases, then it'll actually be the company um, renting the place. <clears throat> Uh, for the long term on a two-year renewable contract because they know that once this guy come, goes back to the uh, head office, they're going to be sending another person there. Now, we're going to interrupt this broadcast. I always wanted to say that. We're going to interrupt this broadcast to give you a quick reminder that NTI is now partnered with Meta Securities Hospitality Property Fund, and they're offering their mind-blowingly gorgeous Machia townhouses in Kyoto. So there's four of them, each about 100 years or older, lovingly restored and renovated to modern standards luxury. Stunning architecture and comfort, all the modern conveniences, including uh, your scenic indoor or outdoor bath, spectacular dining and sitting rooms, disgustingly decadent Japanese or Western-style bedrooms, high-speed Wi-Fi internet, kitchen, outdoor decks, Japanese gardens, the works. Now, each of these homes can comfortably host two or three families, including kids. So anywhere from one or two guests and all the way up to a dozen or so. And you can rent the entire house to yourself. So no other guests. It's all yours. Run around naked all day and night long, if that's your thing. Supreme Japanese-style luxury accommodation. And since at the moment there are still no foreign tourists in Kyoto, these places are available for rent at ridiculously low prices. So we're talking as little as $430 for a whole week. That's right, luxury accommodation for an entire clan, two families or more, for as little as four, five, or $600 a week. Obviously, the longer the stay, the cheaper the rate is, but you can rent these for anywhere between one or two nights and up to a month or more. So perfect for a weekend getaway, extended holiday, workation, family reunion, company retreat, or even as a gift to a valued client, whatever you might have in mind. And if you book these through our website, you're also going to get an added bonus of one or more 3,000 yen. So that's $30 QO cards, QUO. Those are gift cards that you can use all around the country in convenience stores, restaurants, various stores, lifestyle shops, you name it. The number of cards you'll get depends on the length of the stay, but you'll always get at least one of these. So if you're in Japan, or even if you're out of Japan, but you think that you might be able to get in sometimes in the next year or two, and you've been thinking about spending some time in Kyoto, this is your chance to nab the best accommodation deal possible. So we'll link to the bookings page, which also has some amazing photo galleries for each of these properties on offer. Now they all come with a fully equipped kitchen, but you can also choose to have your meals delivered to the property if that's your thing. The operator can arrange that for you at very reasonable prices. And if you can't see the show notes for any reason, just go to our website, nippontradings.com. That's N-I-P-P-O-N tradings with an S, all one word, nippontradings.com forward slash Kyoto hyphen holiday hyphen rentals. Or just go to nippontradings.com and you'll see the Kyoto holiday rentals option on the top right menu bar. Now, we are already taking bookings, so some of the properties may not be available on your dates, but Mida Security guys are super accommodating, and they'll do their best to find you an available property for whenever it is you're planning your trip. Get on there, book your inquiry, and take that dream holiday in Kyoto that you've been fantasizing about. 
while these phenomenal prices are still available. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, that's uh, so. I'll, let me. That's a good point. I'll touch on that. What happens with rental? So there's two types of contracts. It's um, corgin and horgin. So corgin means personal contract, and horgin means corporate a corporate lease. Uh, and how that works is either the you know the company will rent the property, okay, um, and that that's beneficial for tax as well. So the company will rent a property, and the 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 tenant, the, the employee will actually pay that rent from their salary. However, they get it, that's paid pre-tax. So they get a tax deduction on that. Like they're not paying tax on that portion that's paid to rent. It's one of the benefits for corporate and corporate rentals. And some companies even like, forget about the relocation aspect. Even if you live in Tokyo or wherever and, and you're going to stay in Tokyo, some companies offer that as just a, a tax as a as a employee perk, employee benefit, so that they can save some tax. So what do you do? Like you know, save about twenty or 30, twenty to forty percent on whatever the rent portion is. Okay. Um, of course, if you're a company, I think if you're a company director, not of course, people don't know. Uh, if you're a company director, you don't. You only get sort of a ten percent tax saving on that. But if you're just a regular employee, you get a, almost the entire amount. It's part of your package. You can only claim up to 50%. So usually 50% is contributed by the company and 50% is contributed by the um, by the staff member. Is that, is that if you're a director? Uh, both, I think. I just think the law, mm. and I'm not an accountant and I'm not a lawyer, but I know just with our company um, what goes on the salary and also the the sure at the end of the year is that, that – whatever the rent is, 50%, uh, well, it's all paid by the company, but 50% is actually on paper deducted from the salary um, uh, uh, because you can't claim 100% for company apartments. That's the director, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it it changes if you're a director, but also uh, there's, there's a portion of, depends on how much your total salary is, there's a cap on how much of it can be rent. So 100% of your salary cannot be considered, cannot be a, a rent contribution, right? So th- there are c- certain calculations for it, but for the most part, um, you, if you're a regular salaried employee, you can get a big chunk of it, um, almost your entire rent as, as pre-tax um, payment by the company. But that's, that's got to be a corporate rental. So the company has to pay that, um, uh, has to... So when you do the, the lease contract, it's under the company's name, but the individual is listed as the tenant. Okay. That's so right. we'll say, yes. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the other way, the cordian, the individual way is where you just rent it directly as an individual. Um, and you, any rent you pay is, is post-tax. So you pay tax on the income and then from your post-tax income, you, that's where you pay the, um, the rent. So there's no tax savings on it. If it's for work purposes, then the company is usually going to be your uh, personal guarantor as well. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about the relocations, but yeah. in general, I'm just talking about sort of in a general rental. Yeah, yeah. so there's the two types, um, Kordian and Hordian. Uh, some people will prefer, like some uh, corporate rentals are a bit uh, more, a bit preferred by owners because it, it shows that, okay, you're employed by, by a good company 
um, and they also see not only the individual's tax info, but the company's P&L, all right, yeah. when the company applies for it. So yeah, the chances of the company departing. We will, yeah. like if there's an option to get a corporate tenant, they're a lot safer, more stable. Um, and they, I mean, they're not going to be, they're not going to declare bankruptcy just to avoid paying some debt on the rent. Whereas individuals, especially the low income earners, um, doesn't happen as much in Japan as in other countries, but they've got no problem to declare personal bankruptcy if it's like a little, uh, if they're running like a little uh, izakaya or a little uh, anything of that sort. And they, they've put a couple of their people in units that we've been managing for them and just stopped paying the rent. We had to kick the tenant out. And then uh, when we came up to know, oh, we declared bankruptcy, you can't touch us. But that, that's not going to happen with a big corporate employer or even a medium-sized corporate employer. Yeah. Well, one thing to, to clarify is that some people are like, they own their, they're kind of a sole proprietor, but they have their own company. Yeah. And they say, what if my company rents this rents this property yeah <laughs> that, that example, right? and, yeah. but the the owner the owner the owner of the property when you do the rental application we will ask look okay you that you're the individual and okay it's a corporate rental your employer is renting okay who's your employer all right we get the documents who's you can't the be director? a guarantor for yourself now yeah well, well who's, <laughs> they who's try the, though <laughs> Yeah, who's the director of the company? You, okay, how much is revenue the company making? How many staff? Hold on, they've only got you, you're the one employee, you and your yeah. spouse, you and your husband or wife are the only two employees. This is no different than a sole proprietorship. An individual right? lease, basically, there's no difference. Yeah, exactly, right? You're just putting it on the company versus someone that works at Goldman Sachs. Well, look, if Goldman Sachs is doing the corporate leasing, great, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Um, but if, if you, know, you as an individual, you're as a corporate lease, is it making me feel a lot more comfortable? No, I mean, um, it, it's, they usually do that for them, for their own tax benefits, right? Like the reason that they would do that is because putting it under the company name makes it work better for them financially. But to us as a, as a landlord, it makes no difference. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm talking from the landlords. The yeah. Landlords from our perspective, so, yeah. Yeah. So just go for it if you want to, but I still want to rent insurance, uh, a guarantee company with that. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting though. I have heard, um, so there's there's another agent that I work with um, uh, that she's having a lot of trouble finding places, finding landlords who will rent to foreigners right now, um, and uh, it's because oh, yeah. the uh, because the the guarantor companies are just saying foreign name, not interested. I mean, these are people that work at the embassies. Mm -hmm. These are diplomats, you know, or, you know, diplomatic staff. Um, it's it's been a real problem just these last few months, and and a lot of that's because uh, of the pandemic. There's so many people left, and so many people left delinquent bills, unfortunately. There so are quite gonna a few guarantee companies that cater specifically to foreigners now. Oh, I don't know. I'm just. This is just an anecdote. I, do, I don't know. I don't know okay. more of the details on that. But Emil looked like he had some information on that. Well, well, I was gonna say I haven't noticed. I, I focus in sales, right? So more individuals buying their own family house i don't do rentals so much but i so i can't say whether or not recently i've noticed it being more difficult for foreigners to get the um to get uh um the guarantor company to sign up on it but what i have noticed, what i can say which is has always been the case is renting is such a challenge for foreigners 
right? Um, unless you're looking at the 200 to 300,000 yen a month upwards, yeah. which in that case is common for the, the building managers and companies to accept foreigners because generally if you're paying that much rent, you're, you're more of a professional. Um, like you're in a more, I say, your, your overall income is, is higher than someone looking at like the 80,000 to 120,000 yen a month, yeah. right? Um, so often the company you're working for is also a bit more, you know, maybe larger and more reputable, um, the nature of the business, et cetera. But yeah, it's, it's always tough. It's always really, really tough for foreigners to get a place, which is, that's one of the reasons I moved into sales or into like, you know, I bought my own place. I didn't like dealing with that. You know, I've, I've suffered through it. I've had so much difficulty. There are always stories of, oh, well, my, my wife is Japanese, but when you apply for the property, the owner will see that, oh, it's a Japanese person, but also they're married to a foreigner. There's a foreigner there, right? And whether or not you have permanent residency, there's issues with like, oh, well, culturally they may, you know, we've discussed in the past, right? The owner, you know, we can say, oh, it's just discrimination or blatant, blatant racism. But there are other factors that, you know, we've discussed before that, well, what about just language issues, cultural issues, or just the risk that if there's a foreign partner, they may just relocate. Okay, it may be easy to, to leave to, to another country. Um, and it's a higher risk that they're going to end the, the uh, tenancy early, which is not attractive to, to, um, to, to owners. So I think because of this, it, that's always kind of going to be the case. It's difficult to, to rent. Um, but for buying, we never have this kind of racism or discrimination to foreign purchases. If we make a foreign per, an, app, an application to buy a property, they'll say, okay, is, who's the foreigner? If I put, tell them their name or whatnot, or who's, or who's the buyer? If it's a foreign name, they'll say, okay, I'll say, yeah, but he's from, you know, he's from this country. Does he, he's got permanent residency. And the only reason that's important is, can he get finance? Can, can this applicant get financing? And if this person can get financing, then that's not an issue. And that's the question that, is the same whether they're Japanese or foreign, right? Even a Japanese person, what's their employment like? Can they get financing, right? Or if they're foreign, yeah, can they get, do they have residency? Can they get financing? Um, so yeah, that, that's why I like, once you own a place, um, it's just uh, the, the peace of mind, the, the comfort that you have is, is unbelievable, which is why one of the reasons I, I got into the, uh, the sales side of things, is just so much nicer being able to help people buy their own family home we have had a few cases where um, owners, especially old school, elderly owners, just outright refuse to sell to a foreigner. Like whether they're concerned about um, the seller, the buyer pulling out at the last minute because foreigners tend to be a bit more of a you know tire kickers than Japanese, or because they just don't want their precious house to go to to a foreigner, like from from a more uh, old school um i don't want to say racist kind of point yeah. of view but some of them some of them are like that not not many but some are yeah you don't get that in 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 tokyo and i would imagine not. yeah no yeah no no don't get that in tokyo but i do notice that that um you know that uh landlords you know if they're not getting the right tenant now whatever that right tenant is they're actually quite happy to let a property sit vacant until they get a, yep. a, the type of tenant they want. And and as a business person, that just blows my mind. I've got, you know, other than from, from an outsider's point of view, that's just like, 
whoa, like you're prepared to, to let money, you know, lose, leave money on the table because you don't like the cut of someone's jib. Okay, your business, your, you know, whatever. But I just find, I just, like I said, mind blown. Um, but there's, fortunately, it's a, it's a, it's a big, big country with lots of different opportunities. So, yes. you know, rather than chasing down um, or getting upset about those things, it's just like, okay, well, you know, uh, next opportunity, next opportunity, there's plenty. Mm-hmm. Stop renting, buy a house. Stop renting, buy, buy a house. A, exactly. Buy a place. It's just yes. such a good deal. Um, I'm gonna. Can I? Can I do my my spiel on the <laughs> deal? Like just the, the, the well, just the, the financial, the financing. Why, the reason it's such a good deal is financing is is absurd. It's absur- absurdly good if you can get the if you're eligible for the home loans in Japan. So the home loans you can get 100% or even 105% financing is what we what we say. So generally closing costs are about 5% of the property value. Um, so if you are a permanent employee and you have permanent residency, you can get, the, the bank can pay 100% of the mortgage. So let's say it's an 80 million yen, so $800,000 property. You can get 80 million yen for the property plus another 4 million yen for 40,000 of closing costs paid by the bank. So your out-of-pocket expense is maybe like five hundred to a thousand dollars, like a hundred thousand yen, and that's only because the home loan is in hundred thousand yen increments. So if if the total you need to pay out is eighty-four million and thirty thousand yen, that thirty thousand yen you can't really you know it, it doesn't fit the increment, so you need to pay that out in cash. Um, but yes, yeah, so you can do the deal, um, get the bank to pay for the whole amount. It's cheaper than moving. It's cheaper than renting, right? Renting, you need to pay, you know, four to six months worth of worth of uh, rent to the agency fee and all that sort of stuff. Here, the cash outlay can be almost zero. And um, the interest rate is zero point, if we can get like 0.45%, 0.45 to 0.7% um, is what the interest rates are. And although that's a variable interest rate, so it couldn't go up, it can go down, but, you know, whatever, even if it could go up, it's been like that for about 14 years now. So I have, so a, question been, for, I have a question for you, Ziv, though, uh, so, uh, Emil, though. So someone coming out on an expat package, they're planning to be here from two to five years. Mm-hmm. Um, do you Have you done the numbers to, to see whether or not they're better off, um, you know, assuming they're not, they don't have an expat package where their, their company is paying for their, you know, massive penthouse down in Azerbaijan but uh, let's say someone is coming two to five years do you think it's a better deal to buy and buy a place um for basically using the bank's money um and then selling um what banks when they go on an expat package they're not going to get the bank's money no 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 not, a, not no. an expat mm-hmm. package but if they're if they're, if they're you know they're, let's say they're eligible for yeah. um uh, they're eligible for either finance or even if they come and buy their own place um, and then sell it when they go. Is that is that a is that a feasible um, opportunity for people rather than going into that? Because you know, rent honestly, renting if you have to go through the whole rental procedure, it's horrible. Um, but you know, so is let it me, more interesting? Um, let me change the question slightly to make it a bit sure. more relevant um, because yes, it, we, we always get this, this question. So the, the way you want to look at it is 
how long do I need to own the property for it to make financial sense? There you go. That's it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is, is it better to buy or to rent uh, or to, like, if I'm going to own it, how long do I, do I own it for before it makes financial, like, and I sell it, that it's financially better for me or should I just rent? Okay. Um, and that's kind of irrespective of whether or not they're on a expat package or they're just a resident here. Um, and more often than not, what we find isn't people that are going to leave. It's people that are, maybe they're, they're single, right? They're like just a, a single person and they're not married yet. Maybe they've got a girlfriend, right? Or boyfriend, or they're just, they're engaged. And I think, oh, we want to buy a place now. We want to buy, you know, a, they have a certain lifestyle. They want a, a two LDK down in Azabu or, or you, know, um, you know, Shibuya. And they think, but, you know, they're going to have kids within three years or so. So in about three years, they're going to need to sell this place and they're going to need to upsize. Okay. So that's kind of a more common um, way of looking at what's the, how long do you need to own a place before and before you sell it? And then it's a financially wise decision. Usually I say about three to five years. Okay. And that's because, you know, and, you know, five years, I, I'm a bit conservative with my calculations. So I want to make sure you're, it's quite safe, not really borderline break even. Um, so five years is pretty good. And the reason I, I say that is there's 5% closing costs when you purchase a property and 3% sales fee, right? So just off the bat, if we, if we look at extremes, okay, imagine you sell it after day one. You've lived there for one day and then you sell it or you've lived there for 35 years, the full life of the loan, because mm-hmm. usually mortgages are 35 years. You live there for 35 years and you sell it at day 35. When we look at these two, um, oh, let's get in the camera. When we look at these two extremes, we can kind of think, okay, along what line is the break-even point? So if you buy a place um, today and it's 5% closing costs, and then you sell it tomorrow, exactly the same price it hasn't the property hasn't depreciated then and it costs you three percent if that transaction is basically within you know the same timeline the same period you'll it's costing you eight percent all right so you've got um, let's can i just use a, a hundred million yen a nice easy number right a hundred million yen property you've lost eight million yen in fees right so you've bought it for a hundred million like it's cost you 105 you've sold it for you know, a hundred. So you're, you're down 8 million yen. Okay. That's how much you need to, that, that's your net loss. If you're paying the bank so on a million yen, on a hundred million yen loan, the monthly repayments are about 300,000 yen. Okay. Um, most of that is principal. So it's basically 3 million yen per year that you're paying off in equity. So it's a hundred million yen loan after the, the first year. Um, it's gone down to 97 million after the second year. It's gone down to 93, 90, um, sorry, uh, 94 million and so forth. So basically after about three years is when you pay, when you've put down equity of about 8%. All right. They had the remaining equity is about 8% down, right? Five to 8%. So that's why I say about three years. Look, and, and the property price is not going to depreciate that quickly, right? And so it could appreciate, but it, it's slow. So it's not going to be that much change. So let's assume that within three to five years, the property price hasn't changed so much. I don't want to speculate anything going up or down. Um, 
But because the interest is so low, most of what you pay back is, is principal. So in three to five years, if you sell it, even if it, you sell it at the same price, you've lost 8% in fees, you've paid off, your mortgage is now more than 8% decreased. So you can pay off the mortgage and you may even pocket a bit of cash. Plus you haven't okay, paid rent. In five years. Well, that's, yeah, well, yeah, you haven't paid rent, but that's what the principal is, right? So yeah. that's where it's gone. Now let's look at the other end of the extreme at 35 year mark, okay? Imagine the property is worthless. The building is worth nothing after 35 years, okay? You've paid off the mortgage. You're paying off 300,000 yen a month. You've paid off the mortgage. The building is worth nothing at 35 years, but you sell it for land value only, okay? Let's say the property was worth, like, you know, a standalone house is about 25 million, but let's say 30 million yen. The property is worth 30 million yen. So after 35 years, the land value has stayed the same, 70 million, right? So you pay it off. So you sell the property for 70 million yen, but your outstanding loan balance is zero, right? So you pocket 70 million yen. So that, that's, a two, that's a two ends of the uh, extremes with home mortgage, right? You lose eight, like... You know, if you sell on day one, you lose 8%, right? If you sell it when it's, you know, 35 years, you've lost the building value, but you keep the land value. So you, you make 100% of the land value, okay? So that's that's where I look at it. And where that break-even period, I'd say is, yeah, three to five years. Um, if you think you're going to sell within three to five years, probably not the best property for you to buy I would add there that there's a another consideration that maybe uh, Tracy, your original um, question doesn't posit is you don't actually have to sell. So in three to five years time, you can even if you've got a loan, you can switch over to an investment loan as long as you're making enough uh, money to cover that, and then you don't actually have to sell the property. You can start making rental income off it. Yeah, and that's that's the the more realistic strategy is if you think you're going so. That's if you're going to leave the country. If you're going to leave the country, then you know don't don't sell it, rent it out. Because we talked about you know uh, interest rates are so low, and you've gotten a great deal, then you can get your rental will more than cover the mortgage. Yeah, usually that that's the case because uh, interest rates are so low, um, it becomes a great rental investment. So although as an agent, I would prefer you to sell the property because we make more money. Um, you know, that's where we make our commissions. We'll happily do it as a, as a, um, you know, as a, we'll happily manage it as a, a typical lease um, because, and that, that's what I would do with my own place. Mm. Um, and that's what I recommend sort of my friends to do as well. Rent it out. You get, you get great, um, great rental income from it. But the situation, that's only if you leave the country and you no longer need to get a home loan in Japan. But like my example earlier is if you're a, a single or a young family, or like just a, a new couple, and you buy a place that you think, look, we want a one or two LDK right now. Um, we're not going to have kids for maybe three or four years. But you know, in three years' time, you're going to outgrow it and you're going to need to rebuy something else. Then you can't keep the current property and buy a second one. Not with a loan. Right? Yeah, yeah, not, not with a loan. And, you know, we're talking, you know, 50 to 100 million yen kind of property. So definitely not, not the case. And if they can't afford, the three bedroom now, then in two or three years time, they're not going to be able to, to afford it. 
right? And they're not going to be able to afford two properties, keeping two properties. So what, so for people in that situation, it's like when you buy a property, if you think you're going to be here for 10 years, you need a property that's going to, it's going to be suitable for the next 10 years or so, 10 to 15 years. If you think it's only going to be suitable for two or three years, probably not the best decision to buy. You're going to end up in a, I think, a worse off situation. And generally that, that is for people that are, you know, if they're singles that are in their 30s, late 20s, early 30s, and they're almost engaged or they're, with, they're going to move in with their partner, their girlfriend or boyfriend, and they think it's likely they're going to get engaged and get married, this is the one, then like that's often my question to sort of these, you know, singles or unmarried couple is like, are you going to get married and, and have a family? And if so, what's the timeline? Because if, if it is, you know, very soon, I don't think this two-bedroom apartment in, in downtown is, is the best decision for you. Mm. Unless you are from the get-go planning to then rent it out, because you actually make more money on smaller apartments. Uh, it, it tends to be more profitable than a family home for rental purposes. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah but, but going back to the point, you can only get one home loan. So yeah, yeah, no, I'm not talking yeah. about long. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so if you're going to spend 50 million yen or 60 million yen on this property, when you have a family and you want to buy a three-bedroom property, a three-LDK three or a, yeah. a house or a mansion, you can't get, keep this 50 million yen property and buy another 80 million yen property. Yeah, we should so point out at this stage that Emil normally deals with um, borrowers and I normally deal with cash buyers, which is why we keep uh, <laughs> we keep talking about different things. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that, that's why like, I'm, I'm in my little world right now um, <laughs> about people buying their own personal personal yeah. properties. But I think we're yeah, yeah, about to um, call it a day, guys, because I do have another appointment. Yes, yeah, it's really close. But Tracy, I do hope that answers kind of your question about what the what a suitable timeline is for owning and when the, the payoff, um, like the break-even kind of point is. But yeah, that was an interesting years. thought experiment. You know, uh, people watching this will, will you know, are interested in, uh, you know, in all the nuances of uh, Japan real estate. So um, I just thought it was an interesting thought experiment. Um, yeah, to, oh, look, it's, it's, it's a realistic thing, that discussion that comes up almost every, every single time. And most of my clients are young families, new families. Um, and so we say, yeah, how, maybe they've got one young child, like they've just had a baby or they're pregnant, um, they're about to have one. And yeah, so it's like, well, how many, my, my, my question is, how many kids do you want, right? Is it just the one or do you want three? Because this property is not, may or may not be suitable. And I've got, I've got three young kids, you know, they're age seven, six, and three. So I'm at the, I'm generally a few years ahead in the family development cycle than, than a lot of my clients. So there's first-hand experience I can give about what the right sizing or what suitable sizing is or what, what's too small or not, not enough. Yeah. So, but it's, um, it, yeah, must no, it's be real, it must question. be really hard to ask uh, like a, a couple that have just got together and they're, you know, they're all in love and they're, you know, about, you know, so are you getting together. married and how are you having children? You know, it's, it's always, it's always with like whichever, whoever's contacted me first, like whether it be the, the husband or like the boyfriend or the, the girlfriend. Um, whoever's reached out to me and is my primary contact, yeah, no, no, I I ask them sort of discreetly on the side first if I know it's a girlfriend. Yeah, it's like okay, so 
is this the one? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go in and say, Hey, are you guys getting married? But the, no, 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 I don't, I can't, I don't well, want to put them on the spot. I'd love to be a fly on the wall when you have that conversation. So are you getting married? I mean, that's a serious question. Like if they've come to speak to a real estate agent about buying a house together and getting a loan, we're pretty much assuming they've established they're going to be living together for a good few years. Well, right? what's, well what, what's realistic is they'll, they'll, they'll do the house hunting with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah. Right. Um, but it, it's quite common that no, this is like, I'll ask someone, and sometimes they go, like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, yeah, definitely, like, yes, this we will, like, because when it's right in their mind, it's not a strange question, right? But then, but the ones that are like, no, no, it's just a girlfriend, are also very much like, no, no, yeah, no, we're not, no, no, it's just a girlfriend or a boyfriend, like, we're not, we're not getting married. Why are they um, house so, shopping together then? Sorry, why are they know, house they're... shopping together? Well, I mean, like, you know, think, well, if your boyfriend or girlfriend is going is buying a house like you go out with them like when my wife goes to buy a dress i'm not going to buy a dress but i'll i end up tagging along um so it's it's you know it's just it's just an outing together um but you, you know what actually is gets a, a stranger reaction is is you know the, a couple with a young child i'm like so how many like are you going to have a number two or number three and and some, sometimes like yeah nope like the, the answer is quite solid like they've had this discussion before <laughs> but sometimes they look at each other and as we haven't discussed this yet hey what do you well it's a similar it's a similar reaction um even, even with, with families so uh yeah no, it's it's a very personal relationship i end up building with, with these people for my clients. Well, Very on cool. that note, this has been fun. This has been fun. Um, we've it's missed fun. Matt. Matt, if you're watching this, we've missed you, mate. Um, yeah. And I hope you've been, what is he, feeding his goats today? Or bitten by wasps, yeah. <laughs> but that, that was what happened on the last video I published. He was being chased by killer bees. Yeah. I miss his, like, his real backgrounds that change all the time, depending on where he is. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, ours are, you know, and we should actually say, Emil, you said it as a joke last time, but um, I'm noticing a lot of views, but I'm not noticing too many likes and subscribes. So like and subscribe. This is not a like joke. And like, like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> That's funny. In my screen, I'm in the top left, but I don't know where, where, where this recording will be. Uh, I don't so. know. Well, I've, I've, I've told my son, my 11-year-old, that, um, uh, that I, I'm on a YouTube channel now, and he's just like, oh, Mommy, you're so cool. Oh, wait till we sees you on TikTok. We should get little splices and put them on TikTok too. We can do the dance and the lip sync. All right. Thanks for your time today, guys. All right. Take care. See you next week. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Awesome session, wasn't it? Huge thank you again to Tracy and Emil. I really love jamming with this crew. And Matt will be back with us uh, as well next time. So if you haven't subscribed to the podcast or the YouTube channel yet, highly recommend you do that. Um, and again, on our event, flight tickets are slowly creeping upwards. And we also have a cutoff date for guests who do opt for the full room and board option. Monica does need to have her catering guest numbers uh, fixed a few weeks ahead of the event. So if you are planning to join us this December for Japan's first business networking and games weekend, the sooner you book, especially for your flight ticket, if you're coming in from out of town, the better. 
Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku.